Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Welcome back, everybody, to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Etihad Arena in Abu Dhabi, UFC 294, Makachev versus Volkanovski 2. A fascinating, strange card. Solid top to bottom, has to be said. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a uh, main and co-main event aren't the fights that had been planned, not, but they are, and they're short notice, but they are fights of intrigue no matter what. And the prelims offer a lot of uh, also interesting bouts. Mm-hmm. So not a lot to complain about here, just a lot to talk about. Ain't it the truth? Yeah, yeah. It's hard for us. It, cut, it it should cut like a half hour off the show, but it it doesn't seem to work that way. What do you mean the fights are interesting? Yeah, <laughs> we don't have bitching to get. Done. Yeah, we cut, cut the bitching half hour, but we tend we'll, to eat it up in in actually talking about fights. Then yeah, and we'll find we'll find something to bitch about. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that Abu Azaitar Sadriquist Dumas fight in the middle of this. Mm-hmm. And Mike Breeden versus Anshul Jubli. Oh, uh, I'm I'm loading up a massive bitch already. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. I don't even care enough to bitch about that one. No. Okay. Uh, feature prelim bout though. Tim Elliott, Muhammad Mokaev, and this is a good fight. It is. This is a, a real test yeah for Mokayev, who i have to say feels like he is returning very quickly from that mcl tear yeah i am shocked at the speed he recovered from that injury is he fully recovered did he i mean he he, he says he's fine he said yeah it was a partial mcl tear uh and that he, I guess, was quoting the doctor saying that six to eight weeks recovery. So presumably he has had a, you know, like a full camp. I mean, depending on, I don't know exactly when this fight was booked, but yeah. Um, I hope he's fine. Me too. You know, very bad sign for a young, promising fighter to suffer such an injury so early in their career. Yeah. Well, I mean, he got his leg. Like, yeah, his leg a- bent backwards. Yeah, it's not a sign. It's not like, oh, that makes him injury prone. No, he got his leg. No, I mean but, a, a bad portent for the future, yeah, like true, that he true. got. I'm not saying it it speaks ill poorly of him. I'm saying it's we, not good for a young fighter to be picking up a career-altering injury like that. We have seen many fighters who start out with a minor or with a, a knee injury that seems very yeah. workable and survivable. 
and they keep fighting on it and it literally just never goes away for the rest of their career you know like king mo he injured his knee in training for some fight in japan early in his career let me see if i can actually remember what it was looking at wiki he injured his knee training I believe for Yukiya Naito or Ryo Kawamura. I know who both those people are. Uh, for for Sengoku in 2009. That is where he injured his knee. And then he re-injured it in Strike Force and got surgery and got staff so bad it nearly killed him. Yep. And like that, you know, that and that he was dealing with that knee for the rest of his career. So that's just though that it is a concern in that way. Mm-hmm. Um that said, assuming Mokaev is healed up, yeah, this is a good, this is a really good test for him because Mokaev mm-hmm. is one of those fighters who he has an incredible record. Uh, he did what I think fighters should do, which is that he started, he he decided as a as a kid he wanted to be a pro MMA fighter. And he stayed an amateur. He went and he competed a whole bunch as an amateur, did a bunch of wrestling Mm -hmm. too, you know, was in like uh, national wrestling competitions in England, did grappling competitions, uh, ADCCs in England, stuff like that actually, you know, stayed very competitive in other sports outside of MMA and didn't turn pro until uh, he was 20. I think that's much smarter than going out and just jumping into the pro waters as like a 16, 17 year old. Yeah. And clearly it has um, equipped him with some, some um essence of like veteranness that you don't yeah. normally expect out of a uh, a fighter so young in his pro career he he proved in his last fight for example to be incredibly resilient and resourceful yep he, he suffered a terrible injury midway through his striking game is is not great yeah but and he's not i think the big thing that is for better and worse is that he's not the athlete he thinks he is. Yeah. He has a super, and this is why it's especially concerning with the knee thing, that yeah. I mean, he has a really physically demanding style. Yeah. He wrestles and grapples like he is mini Khabib. Yeah. Like he is the best athlete in the division. But we saw Charles Johnson have like just a get-up game. And we've seen other fighters, too, just have, like, a solid defensive wrestling game. 
and Mokayev has to work really hard to get his game going mm-hmm. against that kind of fighter. <clears throat> like he he has to he's used to, you know, he's used to in uh, early in his career, he would just go out there and he would like lift people and slam them mm-hmm. and toss people around. And that kind of game, that part of his game is much more difficult against good competition. He's not athlete enough to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And Tim Elliott is undeniably good competition. Tim Elliott is undeniably good competition. What I will also say, uh, on you know, to to uh, Mokayev's credit, he has a great understanding. This is the most veteran part of his game that all this experience has bought him. He has a great understanding of where he is in the cage and what he wants to do at all times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like we saw against that in that Durden fight, you know, Durden's like, oh, you'll try to horse me, I'll I'll show you. And Mokayev just wrapped him up with a guillotine, and that was it. Mm-hmm. He's really good at that kind of thing. Yeah, he's he seems um, way more way calmer, more relaxed than you would expect from a young fighter. Very mentally resilient. Yeah, uh, at least based on the little, um, not little, but the you know this uh, small sample size of trouble he's run into so far. And. Um, yeah, he has a plan. He yep. knows what he's doing. He's not out there just sort of making it up. They say in chess, Zane, a bad plan is better than no plan. Yep. And uh, Makai's plan is too simple and one note to be bad. <laughs> like, yeah. It's uh, he wants to do the same thing to everybody, and he does it full intensity, and it has plenty of layers to it. Yep. Um. Yeah. All that being said, like I think this could very well be the prospect loss. Yeah, you picking Tim Elliott here? I am. I'm not certain about it. Uh, I'm perfectly willing to hear and probably by the end of it even agree with your case for Mikhaev. To me, this just has the feeling of a prove-it kind of matchup for Mikhaev. Yeah, I can see that. Absolutely. Tim, Tim Elliott is this, is... this is the thing in Mikhaev's favor. If there are two shortcomings of Tim Elliott's, one has been, I think, impressively shored up, which was which was his tendency to fade out of fights. Mm-hmm. He has become a lot more consistent uh, with his output and his pressure um, in the last few fights. Even he has just been really, really like rock steady. Yeah. The other shortcoming, which he has not addressed, is that he is basically bad at defending anything everywhere. Yes. He is submittable. He gets taken down. He gets hit super hard and super clean. I think in this area, he has also improved somewhat. Uh, at least seems more just sort of relaxed. Yeah, but I mean, I, I feel so bad for Elliot because, because of his, his wife situation. Well, and his training situation. James Krause, right? Yeah, because I think that both of them together really honestly helped calm him in fights a lot. Yeah. And he still has some of that left over. He was in he was full he was like visibly full of rage in his last fight though. Yeah. He was yeah. working some shit out in that fight. Hey, it worked for him. He looked good, yeah. but 
but it, uh, yeah, it's, he's been through some things. I, I think that a lot of the, uh, I think a lot of the game planning part of it is gone. Like maybe he's learned some, some ability to channel his emotions more functionally, but I think Kraus was a lot better at like helping him manage. Okay. Well, what are we going to do as the fight goes on? Yeah. And Elliot has looked a little bit more like a guy who has one idea and he's better at managing it than he used to be. Mm -hmm. But he's kind of back to the one idea. That's my personal feeling. Yeah, no, I I get that. That that uh, that tracks for me. Um, But for me, uh, you know, I, I just often have a tendency to favor an old dog. Yeah. In a fight like this. And I do think like. As impressive as Mokayev is, like what what exactly are we rating? Are we rating his ability to out wrestle Malcolm Gordon? No, there's a point in this, you know. Like I say, Mokayev is not. I think he's a good wrestler. He's just not the athlete no he doubt. thinks he is. Exactly. And his his game has been geared to be an athlete's game. Yeah, and Tim Elliott is a big physical flyweight. He is. I mean. He's maybe not quite so big by the standards of the modern flyweight division, but Mokayev is a fairly normal-sized flyweight. Yeah, Mokayev is well, he's he's five nine with a seventy-inch reach, which actually makes him bigger than Elliot. That is weird. Elliot's five seven with a sixty-six-inch reach. He doesn't seem bigger than Elliot. He does not seem bigger than Elliot. I will actually be surprised if they step in the cage and he actually looks bigger than Elliot. If Elliot that's the is case, a very Elliot is a very wide-looking man, too, weirdly. Yeah, he has a weird build. He does. Um, and he's all hunched over, and maybe, mm-hmm. he's, maybe he's actually very tall, but his spine is just like a C-shape, like Eddie Alvarez's. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Tim Elliott is, he's, he's strong, he's, uh, he's willing to be super aggressive, he's also willing to be dirty. Oh yeah, no shit. <laughs> Tim Elliott. Did you, will... did you see the thing about him with the upcoming BKFC card? No. He is sponsoring the guy that Kevin Kroom is fighting on the next BKFC card. Oh my god. <laughs> that is that is petty. Yeah, right. That's something Dominic Cruz would do. That's like Dominic Cruz's vendetta against all referees. Dominic Cruz would never let a woman close enough to him to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Get into that that's situation. True. That's true. Dominic Cruz. Yeah. Why? Why do I agree with that so easily? That man does <laughs> not have love love in his life. No, he does not. Ever. Like Dominic Cruz is just one, and it's not even like you. You think, oh, Dominic Cruz lives a lonely life. No, Dominic Cruz is like 100% a, I think I'm like too good for a woman. Yeah, he is a men going their own way type of guy. Yeah. He he doesn't uh, talk to or have any real interest in women, and he does No Nut November for six months out of the year. (laughs) Yeah. He thinks this makes him like basically a modern day Aristotle. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, he thinks he's like, uh, who's the guy in the barrel? Oh God. You know who I'm talking about? 
guy, the guy who said, get out of my son. You know the guy. Something with a D. Anyway. Diogenes. Uh, Diogenes, yeah. Yeah. I always, how is it, Zan, that I always know the first letter of a name that I can't recall? I don't know. I'm a natural-born writer, I think, in, you know, in script. Yeah, his, there is literally, this is a dude who has been a multiple-time UFC champion, is now firmly a UFC broadcast member, Yeah, has been in the MMA spotlight in some way, for the last uh, 15 years as WEC uh, and title cha- you know, champion and contender mm-hmm. and UFC champion and contender, there is no personal life section on his Wikipedia page. <laughs> he has not publicly dated a woman. <laughs> yeah, I just think he's like virtually asexual. Anyway, yeah. not a problem Tim Elliott has. No, he no. also has no love in his life, but not. <laughs> but he is very upset about it. And it's not <laughs> yeah, he really thought he did for a minute there. Yeah. Uh, I don't mean to tease him. I do feel bad. No, no. Um, it's terrible. But uh, anyway, Tim Elliott is a dirty, mean, aggressive, tough fighter. He may be lacking in the defense department, but he is just insanely scrappy. And he is a monster yeah. scrambler. And uh, basically, like the list of people who have beaten Tim Elliott are is like a list of the most elite flyweights of the last 10 years. You know, like the the worst guy yeah. to beat him, the weird one is Ben Nguyen. Ben, yeah. Everyone else, like even including like Zach Makovsky, these are like oh, yeah. That's really, really high quality fighters. So I think Makayev could definitely beat him. But uh, I just kind of have a vibe pick that uh, I I get it, but I kind of need to see it. You've kind of outlined the reason I think Tim Elliott's going to lose to me. And it's the dirt and the scrappiness. It's that Tim Elliott. And it's also like my feeling, too, that with the the loss of Kraus as a coach, that the the plan has gone out of Elliot. The, the, uh, the control is, is, is better. The ability to stick to an idea to, to be emotionally centered, I think is better. Even if the center is rage now, maybe it just took him getting really hard done by to get to that, uh, that Bill Algio, uh, Damon Jackson place. Yeah. For Elliot where he just has anger fueling him, that would be good for him. Um, My God, man, I'm just watching his fight with Tagir Olambikov, mm-hmm. and it is him and James Krause and Gina Mazzani and Kevin Kroom taking yep. a picture together. Yep. And Literally betrayed by, in one way or another, by, like, every person he counted on. <laughs> that yeah. is, that and the really worst is part rough. is too, like you watch that fight. If you, if you were w- watching it with headphones on or listening to it, rather uh-huh. John Anik is saying, you know, James Krause, he's done a hell of a lot with Tim Elliott to really turn his career around. But you know, who really doesn't get enough credit here is Gina Mazzani, who has become his rock 
And so like, how it, are you two standing on either side of this man, grinning for the camera? Just that is some low down. It is dog <sighs> behavior. That is, yeah, pretty honestly, pretty despicable. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> really, like honestly, that's low. It is. Um. So with that, Tim Elliott has always been a dude who. He will. He is happy to be the author of his own destruction. Yeah. And I think that we're probably he's probably somewhat back in that mindset. It's not the tiredness because it used to be. Yeah. That he would be out there like doing a Dominic Cruz impression that would yeah. slowly fade. Kind of the Angela Hill problem. He had he yeah. had very inefficient game and no throttle. Like he was yes. just full tilt until he couldn't do it anymore. But we've also seen it be that he will just get stuck doing the same thing over and over and over again, Mm -hmm. whether it's working for him or not. And I think I don't trust that version of Tim Elliott to be gone. And I think that uh, Mokayev is resilient enough and opportunistic enough that Elliott can't afford to be that guy for 15 minutes. Yeah, I don't. This isn't a reflection of the um, strategy that we're going to see play out here, but the uh, fight with Askar Askarov comes to mind. Yeah, where it's just Tim Elliott like walking into Askarov's jab for three rounds and just mm-hmm. making no adjustment. Yeah, it's that kind of thing, and mm-hmm. I just like Mokayev isn't the athlete he thinks he is. He's not. Uh, his game relies too much on being physically stronger than opponents more than it should rather. Yeah. But he is a great opportunist and very level headed and very technical and very technical. And I just, his, his one phase he is. And I think that Tim Elliott will bring to him a fight that will give him opportunities. Yep. That sounds more than plausible. Yeah. I'm going to pick him to get a submission. But it, I like the fight. It's a great test for for Mokayev because yeah, and like I said, you know, if he gets it, it's a huge feather in his cap. Like beating Tim Elliott is yeah, no small shakes. And uh, it's the right kind of step to getting into fights with guys like Brandon Royville mm-hmm. and uh, you know the deeper end of that division where you get frenetic, fast-paced fighters who don't slow down, who don't break easily Mm -hmm. and are ready to hang with you. And Mokaev is, you know, he needs to get those kinds of tests because he's got a veterans game, but it's just not, it's not tuned the way I think he expected it to be tuned Mm -hmm. at this level. And we'll see how much that can change as time goes on. All right. That bring oh odds on the fight. Elliot is opened up at my plus three eighty three is currently plus three forty one, and Mokayev opened up minus four eighty three, got down as low as minus five fifty six, but is currently at minus four twenty. So those odds getting a little thinner. They should be a little thinner. Elliot has been in there with everybody. He's a tough out. Mokayev mm-hmm. is still unproven, but uh, it's a good fight. Yeah, I really like it. All right. 
that brings us to a lightweight bout. Muhammad Yaya against Trevor Peak. No relation to the Ronnie Yaya. Mm-hmm. To the Yayas of Brazil. But, is, uh, uh, is Ronnie Yaya like... Um... I'm going to take a wild guess that's probably racist. Is he like Lebanese or something, maybe? Oh, maybe. I don't know. Does does seem like it's probably like an Arabic name or something. Yeah, that could easily be. Uh, There's a lot of immigrants in Brazil. They're basically as Syrian. diverse as the U.S. Syrian. Syrian. There you go. Yeah. Hey, I was pretty close in terms of uh, geographic location. So maybe there is relation to the... To the Brazilian, yeah, however distant. Yeah. Anyway, Muhammad Yaya, Trevor Peak, and uh, hey, I'm always happy for another Trevor Peak fight. Yeah, Trevor Peak, more like Trevor Zenith. (laughs) Trevor the Apex, the Peak of MMA. He's back. He hasn't learned a thing. No, learning would, would would spoil it all. God, I hope he hasn't. If he tries to do a Michelle Panetta, no, don't no. do it, man. Do, if, no. if he throws a jab, one jab, one jab, I'm done with Trevor. Oh no, our 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 redneck Colin Farrell would never. <laughs> no, he's yeah, he's been. Uh, no, there's no. There's no room for learning in this man. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to pick him here, honestly. Yeah. Muhammad Yaya, the first thing I did, I pulled up, was his fight against Suhil Tahiri. And the first thing I did in that fight is mistake which one of them was going to win. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, man, that guy looks really awkward and terrible moving backwards on his back foot. Okay, that must be Tahiri. And Yaya's the other guy who at least looks like he has sort of a natural rhythm as a fighter. And then watching it play out and watching them both get dropped by horrible strikes and Yaya grind his way to a win has given me no no confidence at all for him competing at this level. Mm-hmm. Basically he has a, a very dynamic one strike at a time, sort of surprise boxing game that has, uh, he can counter off his back foot a bit too, but his footwork and defensive positioning are both absolutely null and void. Mm-hmm. And then he has the safety net of some really ugly wrestling and grappling when he has to. And Trevor Peak is a big mess, but even against a much more rugged, all-terrain, difficult competition in Chepe Mariscal, like Peak had a lot of success in that fight. He's going to have a lot of success and a lot of failure in every fight. Yeah. Because he, like, there is no other way to say it. He is an absolute mess. Yeah. He, we, we once talked about, uh, oh my God, what's her name? Um, the, uh, strawweight BJJ girl, Mackenzie Dern. We once talked about her being slow task, Mm. you know, 
striking like slow Taz. Mm-hmm. Drunk Taz. Yeah. Trevor Peak is just Taz. Basically. <laughs> yeah. He's like, sho- shockingly athletic. He doesn't yep. look like, but he is powerful and fast and he's not, he's not like coordinated, but he's not as clumsy as it seems he should yeah, be. Yeah, if he Just, were athletic, naturally athletic, yeah, he, he would, would knock down every fight. He would be a failure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, so he has the stupidest system. It's not, it can't even be called a system, nor can no. it be called a technique. <laughs> yeah. He is equipped with the dumbest tools imaginable. It is like, I don't know. It's like, it's like, it's like, uh, somebody makes like a, a nice piece of like a, a jewelry, you know, for you and, and, and you go and then you go to the shop and it's like all their tools are just like rocks. Yeah. Like you must be good. Cause this jewelry looks all right. Yeah. But he is working with the stupidest shit you could possibly think of. <laughs> a man throws 50 standing hammer fists per fight. Yeah. Like spins around when he misses a punch. He's but a doofus. If, but if Chepe Mariscal weren't like yeah. super rugged all-terrain, I'm ready to fight back in every position that you give me. Yeah. He would have lost that fight. Peak went out there and took it to him, hammer and tongs. Mm-hmm. Mm, Yaya does not look like that guy to me. He just mm-hmm. doesn't. So I'm going to pick Peak. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if Peak lost this fight. Oh, no, no, no. Trevor Peak could lose any fight. Exactly. His style is just bad. It really is just yeah. bad, which is yeah, why it's no. so amazing to watch because it shouldn't work and it works shockingly well. Yeah, this this is the – you go to the art gallery and you see, like, the impression – the, uh, you know, the uh, – surrealist, uh, formless, avant-garde masterpiece, yeah. and you go, oh, my, my five-year-old could paint that? Yeah. This is the five-year-old. <laughs> like, <laughs> at some point, he's going to get interested in dinosaurs, and all that art is just going to go by the wayside. Yeah. You know? This game will entirely fall apart at some point. Hey, but there are, there are less cool things to be into. Yeah, in the I meantime, went to the, uh, I went to the Carnegie Museum of Art and Natural History in Pittsburgh the other weekend. Mm-hmm. Saw some pretty cool dinosaurs, and I gotta say, yeah, yeah you know, maybe for him it'll be meth, but <laughs> <laughs> meth dinosaurs, same difference. What whatever it is, this man will someday his MMA game will entirely disintegrate, and he'll never win another fight. Mm-hmm. But until then. It'll be fun to watch him just like get random fights that he can probably win. Maybe I don't know. I'm not gonna pick Yaya. Yeah, no, I'm picking Peak. Stupid, but it'll probably work. Yep, Yaya is in fact the underdog. Opened at minus one sixty five. Currently plus one thirty eight. Peak opened at plus one forty seven. Is currently at minus one fifty four. People must have rate. made. People must have made this is what peak performance looks like. Yeah. They like have. Trevor Peak throwing hammer fists, right? They if they haven't, you need to do it right when you get off the show. <laughs> Screw the article. Screw your sleep schedule. <laughs> Trevor Peak memes. That's the future. Plastics. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Uh, that brings us to a bantamweight bout. Javid Basharat, Victor Henry. And this is the, like, really cool fight on this card that's getting buried for no reason. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, this is a super cool fight. I, I, I kind of had a hard time wrapping my head around um, what to expect. Mm-hmm. Because um, I think that Victor Henry is a sharper, more disciplined fighter than Javid Basharat. Um, but I also think Javid Basharat is like a, I don't know, very intuitive fighter. Mm-hmm. And, and really, really, I mean, this was the thing that shocked us way more down to scrap than we expected. Yeah. Really, really durable, really hard nosed. Yep. Just can go through hell. Without losing an ounce of confidence. Three hard rounds and surprisingly well-rounded too. We'll, we'll throw in some wrestling. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll fight off the back foot. We'll pressure. We'll eat shots. If he has to, we were like quite dismissive. I recall when we first looked at him, we're like, ah, this guy's doing like a corny Conor McGregor impression. Yep. Whatever. We just kind of assumed there wasn't that much depth to it. Well, because we've already seen too, that like, it's not as special as the game Conor McGregor had in terms of <clears throat> relative to his competition. Like Basharat, he's not losing, but he's hit the UFC and he's not finishing anyone either. He's having hard fights. Yeah, they're all, all hard. the time. Uh, and like, you know, that, that was like that. It just, it, there's a lot more guts behind it than we thought. If there right. weren't, then those hard fights would probably be turning into losses. Yeah. It's like looking at Carlos Condit's game without knowing about his chin and his yeah. uh, bloodlust. Exactly. Um, yeah. So so Basharat has really been um, a lot more impressive than I initially suspected. And... Um, you know, and and is it's not. I'm, I'm not saying that he's like not sharp at all. Nor am I saying that Victor Henry can't doesn't brawl sometimes. Yeah, no, which he definitely does. But uh, I think it takes a a pretty serious class of genuine counterpuncher to shut down the game of Victor Henry. Oh yeah, no, I don't like, know. I mean, Victor Henry is the dude where Hoffman we knew the moment he got signed, we're like, oh, this dude is ready to compete at the edges of the top fifteen and should just be thrown into yeah. hard fights. Yeah, and I don't think it is a, a particularly damning sign for him that he lost to Rafael Sunsal the way he did. I think it is just simply the last great performance of a truly un- underappreciated great fighter. Yeah. Um. And um. But uh, yeah, I mean, I really do expect him because because the thing is, Basharat's been having hard fights with much much messier, more obvious fighters than Victor Henry. Wow. I mean, Basharat was able to beat Tony Gravely and Victor Henry just went to split decision with Tony Gravely. Yeah. So, but, but you also would not deny that Gravely, by the way, is, Gravely. Uh, is a simpler, more obvious fighter than Basharat. I think that, or, or than Henry. Sure. A, a I'm much just saying. less subtle and technically yeah, sound. I, I, I was just saying, I thought you were saying that 
that uh, Bashrod has been struggling more with different fighters than Henry had, with worse fighters no, no, no. than Henry had. No, no, no. This is a style matchup thing. It, then yeah, yeah, Henry yeah. is a direct comparison that gotcha, gotcha. the guys who have been giving Basharat really tough Double fights are worse than Henry. Yes, are like big sluggers yeah. and like true brawlers, like Mendonca, just like slinging big ugly punches at him. Yeah, and Henry is gonna like poke him with jabs. Mm-hmm. And it's going to hit him to the body and it's just going to present a much more a, a, a problem that I don't think Basharat sort of reactive toughness is necessarily enough to solve outright. Might but be just just his ability to weather these hard shots and to come up with counters. These guys are like easy to time. Yeah, no, this is this is very true. It will be a much more difficult fight for Bashrat to be put on his back foot trying to counter the whole time if yeah. Henry is on the front foot filling the space with volume. Yeah. Henry is high output and it's good output. It's smart. Yeah. It's um it is good technical boxing. Um but yeah, I mean it is worth pointing out the MMA math, right? That like uh Victor Henry, largely because he's not powerful. Yeah. Went in there and just like had a shockingly tough time dealing with Tony Gravely, who I'm pretty yeah. sure we were both quite confident he was going to beat. Yeah. Yeah. Before that like fight a, happened. Seems like a, a an easy slam dunk. And instead it was really very difficult. And um, I think Basharat does kind of have access to that mode. Yeah, he does. If he needs it to just be like, oh, this isn't going well. I'm just going to throw the kitchen sink at you. Um, not to mention, um, as I said, an ability to actually mix in some wrestling and some surprisingly good top grappling. Um, both so the Bashrats have been much better wrestlers than I yeah. would have given them credit for. Big time for the work they did on, like, being a good wrestler on the UK regional circuit does not mean that much to me. So right, right, seeing them do it in the UFC has been a much bigger like, oh, okay, no, these guys actually, yeah, they have the right idea. So I, I don't know. I, I I don't have a particularly strong feeling one way or the other. I mean, I did Basharat. I, uh, the fights have not been particularly clean, but he keeps sort of exceeding my expectations. Meanwhile, Victor Henry, I have a really high opinion of as a fighter and I've been disappointed with uh, a few of his performances now. <laughs> and yeah. that he's just not dangerous enough or like people don't have to respect um, if they're just like cool and confident in their ability to take what he's dishing out, then they can kind of just bypass uh, the kind of rhythm and rules that he's trying to uh, to play by in the pocket and just nail him. Yeah, and I think that kind of puts me where I was going to pick up, um, which is just that I don't – the thing for me is that Victor Henry has a game that – it's pretty much set in stone Yeah, how he wants to fight and how he has to fight really at this point. I mean, he's 36. It's not, it's not changing. We're not going to get a sea change of like, Oh, Victor Henry finding his power. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not going to happen. He has a game that has been built on pressure and volume and the need to create a, wall of distance with his strikes that fighters that the opponents feel like they have to respect 
where they're constantly like, okay, I'm stepping in. Oh, he hit me in the body with a kick. Uh, step back, stepping in. Oh, he hit me in the body with a kick. Okay, stepping back, stepping in. Okay, he hit me with, you know, it's just like, that's that's what he wants. He wants to create that that barrier at the end of his reach mm-hmm. where he's just able to put in work and as you said if if an opponent just doesn't respect that there's not you know he's still he's he's a very capable counter wrestler he's a very capable scrambler he's a capable fighter but it's not the fight he wants to have mm-hmm. and his output drops a lot and he has to spend a lot more do a lot more work trying to problem solve basically and I think Basharat can just not respect that. It'll be interesting. Like it may be a, it may take a round yeah. of Basharat being on the back foot trying to counter Victor Henry to get this idea of like if all I'm doing is taking a step back and then waiting, I'm gonna be met with a teep in in the middle of my gut every single time. But if he starts pushing forward and pushing Henry back and can start getting in on takedowns, can start just throwing some overhands and leading a bit and letting his own power do a little bit of work and his own size do a little bit of work, mm-hmm. I'm going to pick Boshrat to take the fight. So, Yeah, I, I suppose I'll uh, I'll go along with you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do remember like by the time I was ready for his debut, I was like, okay, everyone was right. This Victor Henry guy is really good. Yeah. But the very first fight, I wish I could remember which one it was, but the very first fight I saw of his, I was not particularly impressed. No. Yeah. You don't have to go back that far to find fights from Victor Henry. You're like, yeah, this doesn't really seem like a game that works that well. Yeah. I think he was, um, yeah, his his output was shut down a bit. He became much more one and done and got into like messy exchanges where he yeah, it was it was more like the kind of fight he had with Tony Gravely. And I'm not saying that wasn't like an impressive performance in its way. Sure. You know, showed his toughness and his consistency and all that, but it was a fight where you're like, man, you should be like technical. You're you're such a good technician. You should be able to kind of neutralize this really crude game. And, um, yeah, I think there is just a level of, uh, physicality and, um, disregard. Like, it's weird to say that, like, it's weird to think that Victor Henry had the performance he did over Howney Barcelos, who is such a physical specimen, mm-hmm. but like Barcelos just like as a fighter just doesn't like what Victor Henry does. No, Bar- Barcelos is a dude who will always he he is a very classic mma striking game and mindset yeah or he he will always like take a step back and reset take a step back and reset like okay let's you know let's go back to middle distance and get ready for our 50 50 exchange again yeah and we've seen you know kyler phillips umar Nurmagomedov. Victor Henry and even Timur Valiev 
all take advantage of Hani Barcelos. Yeah. Even in fights where you don't think Barcelos necessarily should have lost, just be like, well, if you're gonna, if you're constantly going to reset and ch- you know re restart the engagement again, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're gonna give me a chance to just fire first. Yeah. So I don't think Basharat. I think Basharat is smart enough to not be that guy, but there is a version of him that will be that guy. Yeah, I just think he doesn't. I just think he reaches a point where he doesn't care. Yeah. And and Barcelos doesn't have that. He always wants to yeah. reset. And like it took some serious convincing for him to be like, I just have to punch with Victor Henry. And by the time he came to that decision, it was way too late. Yeah. Uh, Basharat, I've seen him go through maybe two minutes and then be like, okay, we're throwing down. And he goes for it. He is yeah. a, a, a an innately scrappy fighter. Yep. Um, and he's harder hitting than Henry. So. Yep. That's it. I'm gonna pick Boshrot. Yeah, he's big enough. He's bigger too. That, that like yeah. his wrestling. Yeah. If he gets in on that, like I say, I've seen enough wrestling out of him to be like, no, he's actually a pretty good wrestler. And and the reach. I mean, just how much yeah. Henry likes to keep people at the edge. Uh, yeah. Boshrot can touch him at his range. So. All right. Odds on the bout. Boshrot is currently at minus. 549 having he opened at minus 98 he's currently at minus 549 that is too wide yeah victor henry opened at plus 325 currently at plus 428 that is way too wide like why basharat like i said the moment he hit the ufc his finishing people dried up and his fights have been hard and gritty and shown off his toughness because they're often marked by him seeding the front foot and seeding the uh, momentum Mm -hmm. and then having to battle his way through. And Victor Henry is far and away like the best dude that he will have faced. Yeah, no question. Ever. So Mm -hmm. I definitely this should not be that wide. I Boshrod, I get that like the con it's just like him having the whole like Conor McGregor pseudo McGregor thing and not losing. I think that's just getting people uh, overhyped. Is it also that um I don't know, or the, is it like people in the UAE just like betting on all the He's not. He's from Afghanistan. He's not even like Middle Eastern. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I was like, are they just like placing a bunch of bets on all like the uh, the the sort of local guys, the most local guys there are? Because what was the I'm other big favorite? I'm not going to weigh was, in on whether or not Afghanistan is part of the Middle East, but it's Central Asia. It's okay. Not, it's not the Middle East. Okay. Well, uh, Pakistan I'll, and India are not the Middle East. Yeah. Well, then also not Afghanistan, are they? Well, Pakistan's right next to Afghanistan. Yeah, so what? Afghanistan's right on top of Pakistan. What's, it, what's it's, next it's to Central Afghanistan? Asia. Yeah, okay, okay. Is, I don't know, Kyr- Kyrgyzstan is kind of over there? Is that the Middle East? No. The, these, the Middle East is a nebulous term that is not really all that well defined. But it's It, it denotes Southwest Asia, Zane, which is um, the, ac- the term academics usually use now. Okay, well, like I say, you're the you're the war expert here. I'll let you. Afghanistan. Oh wow, Afghanistan means war to you, huh? It's next to 
Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan. I mean, it's closer to China than it is to Syria. Not the Middle East. East of the Caspian Sea, Zane. Not the Middle East. Fair enough. You you doubt me. I see it. I do, I do doubt you, but I, I did a Google search and Google confirmed it. And now I have no choice but to trust you. Central Asia, baby. All right. All right. All right. Uh, that brings us to a middleweight bout. Abu Azaitar, Sadriqus Dumas. And now we're talking. Finally, the good shit. This is such a middleweight fight. <laughs> Just disa- pure disaster area MMA. Yeah. Um. These two, like these two dudes just can't fight. That's. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess Abu Azaitar is he is the most heavy heavy bag MMA fighter to ever exist. Yeah. Like he makes Phil Baroni look like a master game planner. <laughs> You know, it's just and he even just looks like a dude who is only trained by like bench pressing and hitting the heavy bag too. like his back is just his shoulders, his upper shoulders are just enormous. Um, but yeah, he throws he, he rips hooks. And will occasionally paw with the kind of jab that a man who's used to only throwing hooks would paw with. <laughs> like a kitten's jab. Um, and then he just throws more hooks. And then when he is falling too far forward from throwing the hooks, he clinches. And that's the entire Abu Azaitar game plan and fight style. Mm-hmm. And if you can survive all that, you're going to beat him. And Cedricus Dumas is just a dude who my God, literally, I think, started MMA before he started training. He started taking fights before he started training, mm-hmm. I think. If not, then whoever coaches him needs to be horse whipped. <laughs> um. Because he can't strike, and he can't really wrestle, and he can't grapple. Yeah. He has a top position game that when he can just sort of fall into it by dint of being fairly athletic Uh and big, he can do all right just being on top of somebody. But everything else is just the most uncomfortable thing you've seen in your life. Cody Brundage really just showed off how much much MMA brain thinking he does. Yeah. By charging in, jumping jumping guillotine on Dumas multiple times. So that all Dumas had to do was literally just fall down and be on top, and he would win that fight. Because otherwise, there was no like clear path whereby Dumas was going to beat Cody Brundage. Brundage literally just was like, "What if I pull guard?" 
Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I got nothing of substance to add. Yeah. <laughs> just tell me who you're picking, and then I'll I'm say gonna, a name, and then we can move on. I'm gonna pick Dumas just because Azaitar has become like minder for the king of Morocco, and I literally would be shocked if he's training anything functional he at has? all. Anymore. Yeah. He and his brother, both the Azaitars, are like the court. They they are they are in that uh, Abdul Karim Edelov position, but with the King of Morocco, and they just wow. hang out with him all the time and spend all their time with him, which is why they aren't fighting anymore. Okay. Um, yeah, sure. That's a, that's as good a reason as any. I'll pick just, Dumas because I assume that somebody as athletic as he is could actually find his way to a functional game someday. Um, you know, OSP exists. Sam. I, and OSP won a lot of fights. That's true. OSP had a tremendously successful career. Yeah. Yeah. Training forever out of a very small camp. The only... Uh, athlete or fighter of his caliber at that camp. It, like, learned nothing except how to do a Von Flu choke. Yeah, just got comfortable in the cage Yep. over a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I don't know that that time is anytime soon for Dumas, but... It might uh, not be, but Azaitar is such a glass cannon. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, training even less hard now, Yeah. I'm just... I'm I'm gonna pick against him. Sure. It's nothing to say he doesn't go out and just one punch Dumas. No, yeah, for sure. He's a much cleaner puncher. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> After that it becomes a clinch and all I have to do all Dumas has to do is like clinch for five minutes and I would assume Azitar will be too gassed to yeah. do anything else, you know. That's all he has to do and, and, and Zane, he'd be a Dumas not to. He would. <laughs> Welcome to the friends friend zone, Dumas. That's right. <laughs> you got friended. Uh Dumas is a what much wider favorite than he ever deserves to be over to minus one fifty eight. He's currently at minus two twenty-four. Uh Abu Azaitar opened at plus one forty two. He's currently at plus one ninety-six. Neither of these dudes should ever be in good position for anything like Azaitar has, you know, he beat Jack Marshman, which sounds like a really low level win to hang your hat on. Sure. But it's, not, it's not a, nothing. It's a lot better than anybody. Cedric was Dumas has beat. Certainly. You know, his best win to date before Cody Brundage was DeWitt Dixon. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Matej Pinaz. <laughs> on the Contender Series. That's not his name. <laughs> it sounds like a, like a slightly racist SNL character pronouncing the word penis. His Pinaz. It's probably Mate Pena or something, or not Mate Pena. Let me Pina. let me look. Let me look at it. I I don't trust you Mate with the pronunciation. 
Mate <laughs> Penas. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a yeah. good last name. Anyway. Pretty good. Yeah, I'll pick Dumas, but it really, like, these two dudes have some of the worst MMA to ever be featured in the Octagon. Yeah, well, don't speak too soon. We got a, we got a banger coming up next. Yeah, now we got a lightweight bout. Mike Breeden, Anchu Jubli. No, this is your mistaken. This is another middleweight fight. <laughs> it really. Like, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, spiritual middleweights. Yeah, I didn't look at the tail of the tape, and I, for whatever reason, I was unable to clock the size of the fighters, like relative to the cage or the referee. Uh, so missing those pieces of information, I had to conclude that this is these are middleweight fighters. Yeah. Right. You have to No, these are lightweights. Huh. One of these men might someday fight uh Drew Dober. Think about that. Oh Lord. Yeah. Um yeah, for whatever reason, Anshul Jubilee, you can't find either of his UFC bouts on Fight Pass. I found it. Now maybe it's, I found it on on uh, the other one. Or on ESPN Plus. Maybe found- you can on Fight Pass. Okay, I found it on somewhere. They just like that's how little promotion they gave like the road to UFC, which like his like first technical UFC fight was, right? Yeah. That it just doesn't show up on ESPN Plus, even though it's a recent yeah. event. Um anyway, um yeah, this is a funny one. <laughs> Anshul Jubilee, I love the way this guy moves around. <laughs> He's you know what I mean? His stance, he sort of has, um, oh, who was it that we, it was a, a female fighter. It was, oh, it, it, his footwork, just his basic footwork reminds me of that, like, one little sequence in um, Pena Nunes mm. one where Pena was, like, fainting and, like, her, it was like watching Ronda Rousey shadow box. Like, her whole body was just sort of, like, jerking. I, I was gonna say a, a stork with concrete shoes on. Yeah, how, yeah. How he moves like weirdly, like he's like bouncy, but but like stiff. Not in the yeah. same way that like Muhammad Usman is. Like nobody moves quite like Muhammad Usman. No, Muhammad Usman is is bouncy castle MMA. Yeah, but there is a sort of weird like stiff legged, and then yeah, like a bird like head bob. That's yeah, really yeah. Sympathetic to the movement of his legs. Very interesting footwork. Like, um, if, like if you were a cruel child that like trapped a st- trapped a trapped a pigeon and put little like manacles on it. Yeah, that's how Anshul Jubilee moves. Yeah, um, he's goofy and he's not particularly good. He's like no a wrestler who's not very good at it. This is the, he is the the case for why you don't trust low level wrestlers who get to the or wrestler, wrestlers on bad MMA circuits who get to the yeah, UFC. Definitely because not being the best wrestler on the Indian MMA scene. Yeah. Does not leave you well suited to a wrestling game that will work at the, in the, at no. the UFC level. No, Anshul Jubilee is on some super fight league shit for real. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mike Breeden. I mean, I kind of like Mike Breeden. I mean, Mike Breeden is, he is he's not as actually technically deft as Christian Rodriguez, 
but he's not, not even close. <laughs> not even close. But he's suffering from the same kind of he, he's he's suffering from the same problem that I expect Christian Rodriguez to to run into at a higher level. Yeah. Which is like, oh, you're actually a pretty capable put together fighter who is mm-hmm. slow as molasses. Yeah, he's slow. He also has this thing like I, I think ideally or maybe maybe this is the thing. Maybe it is a function of the kind of atl- athletic ability he is currently up against that he sort of has to slug it out with people. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He would like not to, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense now that I think of it that way, because you can watch like his fight with like Natan Levy or Levy. Yeah. And there's portions of the fight where he is like beating Levy's ass. Oh yeah. You just, you, you, you look at them in isolation. Like, Oh, Breeden is a much better fighter than Natan. Yeah. Levy. He's throwing good combinations. He's going to the body. I mean, he is backing him up against the cage and just strafing him with like five punch combos and he's getting hit. But you're like, this dude is like a serious brawler. Yeah. And he is firing back every time he gets tagged. But then this is why I say it makes sense because there are points of this fight and many other fights um, against decent competition where he seems to forget that he's a brawler. At least that's how I, that's, that's how I was thinking of it before I considered that actually maybe he, he wasn't a brawler until like it turned out that like his toughness, uh, and determination was the only thing that kept him in a fight with these better athletes. Yeah. Because he'll be like beating Levy's ass. And then he just sort of steps back and is like, okay, I'm, I'm actually slick. Yeah. He tries to do like some cool move, like some darting lead right hand or some bouncy footwork. And Levy just like thwacks him in the gut with a kick. Yeah. And he just like like, folds over like I didn't see that coming. Can't catch a breath. It's it's very much like an anime anime scene where like, you know how they have the in, in a fight in anime where like the one guy is like doing a big move and it's just like, like a, na- naming a, the move as he does it. Well, it's like a frame of them moving of that, the, their image just slowly crossing the screen with a background that's like streaming behind them because mm-hmm. it's cheaper than animating the actual character. They just yeah, yeah. move the cell over um, a moving background. And it's like that. But if the other character actually was animated in real time. Yeah. And was just watching and just being like, oh, okay, well, I'll just punch <laughs> you while you're slowly crossing the, the screen with this streaming background. Yeah. That's where Mike Breeden's at. That's the thing. Breeden's a lot of fun. He can put yep. some really nice punches together. He's super tough. Like, yep. I think mentally more than physically. Because, like, he gets hurt. Sure. He, he, does not lay, he does not lie down. Um, But he's not quite... Um, the brawler that he has to be. Yeah, is kind of the thing. Anyway, he's, I think he's he's uh, he's definitely going to beat Angel Jubilee, right? He's gotta. He he's should. just going to swarm him. Jubilee doesn't know how to deal with that. Yeah, he's not Chepe Mariscal. No. Th- if he was, yeah, there's you know he's Chepe Mariscal is no great athlete either, but Mariscal is just down to scrap he is a born brawler everywhere all the time never let up yeah breeden he would like to be a much slicker fighter yeah he can do the brawling in some in some really very impressive bursts but he he doesn't seem to uh to really like sustaining it because like yeah he wants to be a guy who like doesn't get hit in the face all the time 
Yeah, he should be able to beat Jubilee. Jubilee's the only thing really on Jubilee's side is that he's, and this is the thing that has made him a good wrestler on the regionals, is that he's a six-foot-tall lightweight. Yeah, but I mean, shit, Mike Braden might be able to get away with being slick against Jubilee. Yeah. That's how awkward he is on the feet. And Breeden actually has a one-inch reach advantage. Okay. So, yeah, no, Jubilee's terrible. His striking is terrible. So, yeah. Uh, if he wins this, it will simply be because Breeden is really that unathletic. Yeah. Uh, and if Breeden wins, it'll be because Jubilee is terrible. Yeah, but I do like watching Breeden. But I, yeah, no, Breeden, I, I love guys like Breeden. He is, he is trying hard as hell to fight at a very high level with mm-hmm. guy off the couch levels of natural mm-hmm. athleticism. Yep. You got to respect that. Mm-hmm. Odds on the bout. Jubilee is a big favorite. Yeah. Opened at minus 417. See, this confirms the doesn't technically have to be the Middle East to be yeah, the yeah, favorite yeah. In, the, in the UAE theory. Because, <laughs> like, what the fuck? Afghanistan and India are Middle East enough for the UAE, just like they're apparently. Middle East enough for me. <laughs> yeah, apparently. They don't give a shit either. Yeah. I don't know. Jubilee opened at minus 417. He's at least at minus 301 now. So the betting is going against him. But still. Why would you bet on him? Breeden opened at plus 292, got up as high as plus 354, and is down now at plus 255. Wow. Yeah, I don't know why anybody in their right mind would ever put money on Anshul Jubilee, who is... uh, Let's see. Who who started MM, learning MMA off YouTube and uh, <laughs> did he stop learning MMA off YouTube at any point? Yeah, <laughs> that's my question. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, no, I'm not picking him. Okay, <laughs> another way about. Just a very long, awkward pause, only to re- <laughs> reiterate, sounding slightly more disappointed than before. Yeah. The point we'd already made. Ah, yeah. No, I'm not going to pick him. No, sir. What is his? I have to find out. Hold on. Does he have a UFC profile page? Ah, uh, yeah, he must, right? ESPN, Anshul Jubilee. Any information whatsoever? No. They didn't ask him for any quote. I just want to know this man's personality. Uh, let me see. Because they, they, they've they've nested it in like a different thing now where you uh-huh. have to go down and click uh, fighter facts. Oh, Q&A. There you go. All the way at the uh, down. Info all the- Q&A. Oh, okay. What ranks and titles have you held? Best lightweight fighter in India. So none. Do you have any heroes? My dad and my future self. Oh boy, got it. He's he's <laughs> disappointed in his past self at some point. He's like, man, you should have picked better heroes. <laughs> uh, he was a math teacher. 
undefeated amateur career. Favorite grappling technique, single leg. Favorite striking technique, right cross. Oh, boy. He just sort of picked. Yeah. At random. Just those are the most generic favorite techniques. <laughs> like jab would somehow be more like a classy generic technique. Yeah. Like, uh, I like uh, right hand punch. That's my favorite technique. Pick something cool or <laughs> shut up. I just love not asking questions for those answers. Yeah, um, Jesus Christ. All right. I'm glad his future self is his hero because this version. So what I'm saying is his future self is <laughs> his past self. Should be like, man, current Jubilee ain't cutting it. Yeah, <laughs> it's past me should have should have idolized somebody who's good at fighting. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's his hero. He has the self knowledge to be like, I'm going back to teaching math. Yeah. <laughs> wow, hero. Featherweight bout. Nathaniel Wood, Muhammad Naimov. I assume Wood just wanted a payday. Yeah. Because I don't know why he took this fight, and I don't know why it's buried. Yeah, it looks like, yeah, that is weird. Wood is like a pretty prominent fighter. Yeah. And he's just randomly at the very bottom of the prelims. That is strange. I'm guessing. He's in his prime. Like, he's 30. He's been at this for 11 years. We like are in the best years of Nathaniel Wood, and he's fighting a newcomer on the prelims. Yeah. A relative yeah. newcomer. I know Naimov's had a debut already, but... He's, and he's coming off of two, like, genuinely breakthrough performances. Yeah. Charles Jordan and Andre Feely. Those are super credible wins. Like I say, he must have just wanted to get paid. Wanted yeah. to fight and stay busy. Wanted a trip to uh, Abu Dhabi. Sure. Um... Yeah, I don't. I mean, he's the not, last. He's the last guy who who hasn't yet found out what Fight Island is. That's right. Nathaniel Wood is like, oh, that sounds so cool. He hasn't watched any of the events. He's the last one to find out that it's just another UFC arena. <laughs> it's, it's the idea of like, how often do I get a chance to fight in my own in something even close to my own time zone? I better yeah. take. You know, is that close to his time zone? He's English. Yeah, how far off is the UAE from the English time zone? Quite a bit. Is it? Surely. It's at least as far off. It's further off than you and me. Gotta be. Is it really? Let me see. Uh, Abu Dhabi time zone. GMT plus four. So it's four hours later. We're I'm I'm like nine hours earlier than me. No, than him. Oh yeah. So it's, well, no one wants to fight on your stupid coast. Yeah. So he's only it, it, for a different. It's only a time zone difference of four hours. It's like fighting on the east coast if you live on the west coast. I know? suppose that's true. I suppose that's true. Well, Europe is tiny, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. All right. Uh. Yeah, I don't. I mean, Naimov isn't bad, but yeah, I guess the weird part of this is that Naimov is a dude who just fought at lightweight, mm-hmm. and he's and Wood is a former bantamweight. They're meeting at featherweight. Um, so 
Like, it's hard for me to be like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, there's a part of me that's just like, oh, should I just pick wood? Um, But Naimov's game is so, it is so particular and based on the idea that he can just knock somebody out. Like, you look at Naimov's record, and there are two things on it, pretty much, or three things on it. Quick quick wins, split decisions, and losses. Mm-hmm. And you, can, you watch that fight with Jamie Malarkey, and it's really, really obvious why that is. Because mm-hmm. all he does is back up and wait to counter. So if he's not going to knock you out on that counter, he's always seeding the initiative and the position. Yeah. He's basically fighting Tyron Woodley style. And that should be a fight that uh, that Nathaniel Wood is well prepared to win, especially with the fact that Naimov is not doesn't have any kind of range game at all. Yeah. Like no, all Nathaniel, of Nathaniel Wood counters. Nathaniel Wood is like the king of the initiative. Yeah. He's and like, oh, sorry. Go no, go on. You say the the point where Wood really gets stuck and where he can be hurt and where his game can fall down is if you can hit him while he's stepping in, because Wood is very much a fighter who is fixated on keeping his. Keeping online, keeping his feet planted and keeping yeah. his head planted as he steps into range so that he can land first, slip and then counter. Mm-hmm. And he wants to be able to see whatever's coming and be very precise with that. So if you can just hit him with rangy strikes as he's stepping in, he will walk right on to stuff. Mm hmm. That's what happened against uh, Andre Feely. It is what happened against. Um, oh, damn it. John Dodson. Dodson, yeah. And it's what happened uh, against Casey Kenny. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, mm-hmm. and against Charles Rodin, too. Like, there is a point there where you can hit, you can catch wood with stuff with kicks and punches. Sure. As he's coming in. But if you wait to get into the pocket with Wood and then try to like, oh, I'll counter him after he throws. Wood is very, very crafty. He's initiated his own offense. That's where he wants to draw things out of you. Yeah. And he is going to slip or roll under or block and and do catch and pitch counters and. Yeah. And and not just punches. I mean, that's the other thing that Wood is once he gets you biting on anything, uh, the guy has a full MMA game. Yeah. You know, Jordan gave him some difficulty. So he started blasting Jordan off his feet at will. Yep. Um. Yeah, no, I there's, I have no problem picking Wood here. It just underscores the sort of why is this fight happening? I mean, I, cool, if he just wants to stay busy and he wants a paycheck. Yeah, I think that And whatever, be. good for him, you know? Yeah. He's just trying not to uh, sit on the shelf too long, and that's cool. But it's pretty easy to pick him. Yeah. My only hesitation is just Naimov's size and power, but that's... Mm-hmm. That hasn't really been as much of a problem as you would expect for Wood so far. 
Yep. That's been a concern, uh, was a concern against Feely, too. And if anything, he looked like the longer fighter at many points yeah. in that fight, just, just having excellent uh, distance management and a really good jab and great footwork. Yeah, there's some there's some uh, Volkanovski to what, mm-hmm. what, what Wood is doing out there. Yeah, for sure. Wood opened at minus 326. He's currently minus 318. Naimov opened at... Plus 274, currently plus 269. Yeah, makes sense to me. I have only very slight hesitations about the size, um, and I feel like it's just kind of a a no-win fight for Wood, but I assume he's just going to, you know, looking to stay busy, pick up a paycheck, and fight relatively, you know, without having to go all the way to Vegas. Yeah, that's like short enough to have uh, no jet lag. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a woman's strawweight bout. Victoria Dudakova, Jin Yu Frey. And um, this should be a. I mean, this is one of those things where, like, if you wanted to pick it apart technique for, for, for technique. Yeah. There's no reason Frey should lose this fight. Yeah. I mean, that that's my only hesitation is, like. I'm not really sure what Dudakova does that isn't wrestling and grappling. Mm-hmm. And her top game is inactive. Yeah, and, and that has also stagnant. not been the thing that has beaten Jin Yu Frey. Yeah. Like, it is because she stands around on the feet doing a Tyron Woodley impression. And it's just super, super passive. And, I mean, beyond passive, she's hesitant. She's yeah timid, if anything. And... Um, but she's, she's always been like strong. And usually if anybody's getting the takedowns in her fights, it is her. So that's my hesitation is like, that's not the way that Jinyu Frey loses fights. Yeah. But also like Jinyu Frey doesn't seem to win fights anymore at all. Yeah. Increasingly the, the barrier for what it takes to beat her is just sort of seems to be more and more just showing up. Yeah, she's she's firmly in late career. Uh, Josh, um, oh damn it! Why did I forget this? Uh, ah, damn it! Berkman, Josh Berkman territory. Yeah, uh-huh. where Berkman was really one of the first fighters who ever got me into the idea that some fighters just get old by becoming hesitant to the point that they can't yep. pull the trigger anymore. Yep. And Frey is that fighter. Like, it's not like, Very oh, she's so. way less durable than she used to be. Or, oh, she's getting injured a lot. Or, you know, she's not as fast or as strong as she used to be. None of that stuff. She just can't pull the trigger. She was never a high output fighter. She can't pull. But now she just, there's nothing there to pick. Yep. So I got to pick Dudikova because she tries hard. And that's it. That's really it. And like you said, I mean, Frey very well could win this. I mean, she she should be able to win this. Yeah. But uh, but she's she's just too hesitant. And at least Dudakova is going to be out there hustling. I can only assume that this is a UFC just told her, like, hey, you want this fight or we're cutting you? Because I, 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 I don't otherwise yeah. know why she's in the UFC at this point. Frey, like, yeah, she's 38 and she doesn't really do anything anymore so yep. i feel i don't want to call for fighters to get cut or anything but it's getting to a point where you don't fight 
I got no interest in watching you. Mm-hmm. Frey is currently opened at minus two or plus two seventy four and is currently at plus three eighty two. Gamblers following us on this path. Dudakova opened at minus three twenty six is currently at minus four eighty one. This should be it shouldn't even Dudakova shouldn't even be this wide for this fight, but this should be the only time in her career ever <laughs> again she is this kind of favorite. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout. Sharbutin Magomed, uh, Magomedov against Bruno Silva. Bruno Silva? Oh, it's this one. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, the was a lot of fun until he got to the UFC, and then the, they've slowly taken the fun out of his game. Bruno Silva. Yeah, Bluto Silva. That's how I think of him. <laughs> I don't even really know if that's a joke or what that means, but... Yeah. Uh, so sure. this is kind of I don't know. I don't want to say that Magomed Magomedov. I don't know this. I could find a couple of his fights online. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to say that his managers are trying to hide him, <laughs> but he is definitely a fighter for whom there's infinitely more hype than tape. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it feels very much like his fights have been pulled off the Internet to try and keep people from scouting him. And that there's a lot of like, oh, he's great. He's a knockout artist. Oh, look at this record. He's perfect. Yada, yada, yada. The, like the biggest news this guy has made out there has been when he, he tried to punch somebody at a jiu-jitsu competition because they had the temerity to leg lock him. Oh, I remember that. And he had the and he tried to punch somebody in a shopping mall because they had the temerity to kiss their own girlfriend in public. What? Yeah somebody visiting Dagestan and didn't realize how culturally uptight they are over there. Sounds like a fucking nerd. Yeah. Loser. Really big loser vibes. (laughs) Jesus Christ, dude. And, um, otherwise I actually got to watch some of his fights because I did this and what's out there shows a guy who loves kicking and hates punching. Yeah. And he's learning to punch. His last couple fights have shown more striking and more punching and more willingness to pull the trigger on punch counters when people over pursue him. But certainly his earlier fights were all about Mm -hmm. forcing you to over pursue with kicks and then just keeping on kicking. Like, you're, or, or or clinching and kneeing when they over pursue, and that's really what his whole game is built on: is a high, high, high volume kicking game mm-hmm. where people run after him, and then he clinches up and meets them with knees, and he's now starting to throw punches as well as people over pursue. Do you think he's like pissed? I'm watching like some fights of his from uh, what I'm assuming is like a Russian fire organization. And there's like half naked ring girls. Do you think he's mad about that? I am sure he's mad about that. Probably is. Right. Yeah. Doing the entire evening. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he, he certainly seems to have 
talent. I mean, he's the, the he consistency, looks, the footwork, and the mm-hmm. speed on those kicks mm-hmm. are really, really rock solid. Yeah, and especially given that he's he he his uh given his incredible output of kicks, he seems to have really good reaction time on the takedowns, good sprawls. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems very light in his feet. Uh, yeah. yeah, his striking game reminds me some. He doesn't punch as much, but it reminds me some of like uh, Zabit. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, he doesn't. He's not nearly as good a boxer as Zabit, though. He's not nearly as good a boxer, but he actually might have like slightly better footwork. He's yeah, yeah, probably. And he's a, he is as good a, a boxer as Zabit in round three. Yeah, yeah. And a significantly better kicker than Zabit in round three. <laughs> yeah. I am going to pick him to beat Bruno Silva. Yeah. I get the feeling Silva is in. He, he, I think he's found his way. Unfortunately, he fought his way above his level. Yeah. Is basically what it comes down to. And it's now at the point where even fights that he probably would have won. A couple of years ago, he's starting to lose because people have seen enough of his game at a high level that they just have figured out how to beat it. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, there's not much to his game. Exactly. He is like, just he a came... straight up brawler and not one who throws combinations. No, he came out and he put a shock into Wellington Terman and had a very self-destructive Andrew Sanchez and Jordan Wright in front of him. Mm-hmm. And then they fed the man to Alex Pereira, which is just yeah. a cruelty. He saw the mountaintop. And then Gerald Mearshart came out there and was like, oh, OK, I get it. I can just outbox you. Mm-hmm. And he did. He just outboxed him. Yep. Gerald Mearshart lit, lit him up like he was Roy Jones. Yep. And then Brendan <laughs> Allen did the same thing. Yep. And. Uh. You know, like I said, with with uh, Shara Butin, he, with Shara Bullet, as people call him, he is his boxing may have to be great, but his footwork is really solid. This is a dude who can fight off his back foot with a high energy kicking game for multiple rounds mm-hmm. and just not get hit all, almost at all. He is really consistent about circling away and about being light on his feet and being elusive. And Bruno Silva might very well be might very well be able to run him down and clinch him and trade some hooks with him inside and make him pretty uncomfortable because he really doesn't like trading punches. Uh Charbutin. But I just get the feeling much more it'll be he'll he will walk himself onto some clinch knees and Magomedov's clinch knees are really brutal. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pick him. Yeah, sure. There will come fights where his style won't work in the UFC, but it's middleweight. So it might be like six fights before we get there. Mm hmm took three fights before people figured out Bruno Silva had a game that wouldn't work in the UFC. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Odds on the bout. 
Magomedov is the favorite. Opened at minus 193, currently minus 258. Silva opened at plus 171, currently plus 223. All right. Uh, on that note, we'll skip over for just a little bit more bonus content. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcasts and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.